Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter, and I'm a transformation coach dedicated to inspiring women and the men who support them to rise up in life, love, and leadership. All right, it's just us girls hanging out right now. Am I right? I got a question for you then. What do you feel ashamed of or embarrassed about in your life right now? It could be something about your physical body or an experience you had in the past, perhaps something you consider to be a failure or even a fear. Is it possible that this embarrassing thing, something you feel ashamed of, is preventing you from being the most confident version of yourself? Is it possible that you're missing out on opportunities in your life, in your work, in your business, in your spirituality, in your intimate relationships, your friendships, your finances? Is it possible that you're missing out on opportunities in your life because you've been unable to overcome the shame? Well, today I want to introduce you to Elle Russ. She is a fireball of confidence. She's a best-selling author, TV film writer, and seasoned life coach. She's the author of Confident as F-U asterisk K. Mm-hmm. All right. By the way, there are some curse words in this episode, so if you have some young ears, it may not be the best episode to listen to with them in the car. And she's also the author of The Paleo Thyroid Solution, a book which has helped thousands of people around the world reclaim their health. Plus, she's the show host of the popular Primal Blueprint podcast. Now, before we jump into this intense, passionate, confidence-filled interview, I want to announce the release of my new book entitled Empowered to Rise, The Secret to Embracing Your True Identity, Uncovering Your Superpowers, and Bringing Your Inspiration to the World. If you or a friend has been feeling stuck, overwhelmed, or just tired of life, I want to invite you to pick up a copy of this short read on Amazon. Now, in her five-star Amazon review, Pam writes this, David helps the reader redefine their true identity, resurrect suppressed hopes and dreams, and cultivate new ones. He helps the reader build a framework to set goals and helps them believe that they are capable of anything their heart desires. I will be using this book as a reference for myself as it contains so many useful tools. Well, you can pick up a copy of Empowered to Rise on Amazon via the link. I'm going to give it to you now. It's also in our show notes. It's insporising.com slash book. Make it real easy for you. Insporising.com slash book. All right, let's jump into my intense, passion-filled interview with L. Russ. Welcome to the show. Great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm just so appreciative to talk to you about this. I want to start out by just having you define the word confidence. And you do it well in your book, but for those who have not read your book yet, how would you define it? And also, why did you choose to write a book on confidence? Well, let me start off with why I chose to write the book, and then I'll go into how I define confidence, because a lot of people define it differently, and I think a lot of people have misconceptions of it. So one of the reasons I was compelled to write it. Well, I'm already an author. I wrote a book called The Paleothyroid Solution. But one of the topics that has come up often in my life is I have attracted people, most of the people I've attracted into my life, friends, colleagues, you know, you name it. 
in some sense have needed the ability to speak up. They need confidence. They come to me for cheerleading when they need to go ask the boss for a raise or do you know what I mean? Or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they need to stand up to a, a friend who's being a bully or whatever it is. And I noticed this theme over all these years, but on the contrary too, now that seems very one-sided like, oh, here I am, some confidence teacher and, you know, everybody flocks to me for this. Well, these are what, the the following is what these people have taught me and what can teach highly confident people. So highly confident people also have pitfalls. And some of those pitfalls are that we are very inaccessible because we are very offend uh, opposed to showing any kind of vulnerability or any kind of weakness of any kind and so you know what we also have issues with is diplomacy sometimes we can speak and get a little bit too hot before you know we really think about it because we are really confident and we're confident in our position and we're like you know confident people can be very you know alpha and, and bold that way so, so there's that. And then also too, sometimes people who need help with confidence are also very good at receiving. They're good at allowing other people to take control in certain situations or they're okay with delegating. Mm-hmm. Highly confident people usually are not. We, And it's not that it's like a control freak thing, but sometimes it is like, you know what, I could just do it better and faster. So I'm just going to do it. And, and not really trusting or allowing other people to do that. We can also take over and enable people, meaning like, uh, you know, someone comes to you and they're like, Hey, I need help writing a letter. And you're like, I got it versus helping them learn how to do it. Or, or you're talking you know, about my life here, Elle, what the heck? <laughs> you're describing yeah. me. What the heck? <laughs> or guide them. So, so, so this is what I've learned over the years. We, we really have these people. Now here's the thing, you know, vulnerability is, I'm not asking everybody to wear your heart on your sleeve or do a Facebook live about your vulnerabilities, but at the end of the day, um, you're going to have deeper connections with people when you can mm-hmm. share certain parts of yourself that you are thinking perhaps look weak. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that being confident as F, uh, my book, F U asterisk K, I don't know if we're going to use the word, but you can. Uh, yeah, you're welcome okay. to. So confident as fuck. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean, inside and outside. This is not about teaching people how to be performers like myself. I can get on a stage in front of 5,000. And if that's what you want to do, that's absolutely something that can be attained. It is, it, it can be learned. I have seen people go from the shyest people in the world and be able to get up on a stage. That's just performance confidence. That's mm-hmm. not really what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that, you know, that's a valid, that's a valid skill for a lot of people. And if you mm-hmm. have a story you want to get out or you're an author, yes, then you might need to learn that skill. Mm-hmm. But you also need confidence if you're a stay-at-home mom and you got some bitch at the PTA meeting or someone kid's parents and who's, who's, you know, patronizing you. Maybe you need to speak up and stand ground on something. You need confidence in every, every area of your life from the boardroom to the bedroom. It matters everywhere. So being confident as fuck to me is inside and outside. So that is really, I guess, interchangeable with self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And it's not about an acting as if pontificating and going out there. Now, what confidence isn't too is it's not uh, you know, these, um, a lot of people who aren't confident get offended when they hear that word because they sometimes think that confident people are, uh, you know, braggadocious, loudmouth, the negative uh, connotation of an alpha, let's say. Mm-hmm. And that's really not the case because that's not confidence. If mm-hmm. you feel like you have to prove yourself to somebody, you're just fucking insecure. That's not mm-hmm. confident at all. It's mm-hmm. really not confident. And there are people that get up on stage and are New York Times bestselling authors and they have performance confidence and outward confidence, but man, whoo, on the inside, total mess. 
total mm-hmm. mess, totally insecure, and completely uh, some some self esteem issues going on there. Mm-hmm. So that's also not what confidence is. Now mm-hmm. you can you know look that's what con men are, right? So confidence men. The reason con men get their way and steal money from people is because again, people trust confidence. That's why you want it because you're going to be the better employer. People are going to mm-hmm. listen to what you have to say. You are going to be, it's most authentic, confident people, truly confident people. That's what I'm talking about. You know, confidence, fuck people. They are the most authentic and authenticity, uh, authenticity reigns supreme in this world, mm-hmm. in every area. So you want that. Now, some of the most confident people are the quietest people in the room. And mm-hmm. that's really important for everyone listening to understand because again, this is not about being the life of the party, Mr. Charmer. Mm-hmm. I would guarantee that half those people probably really aren't confident. Right, as fuck. Right, right. But the guy standing alone in the corner at the party who everyone's going, oh, that poor guy, he's all alone. Not poor guy. He's comfortable in himself everywhere he goes sure, and he's sure. just observing. That's confidence. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Oh my goodness. Whoa. I feel like I just got a fire hose full of confidence. That was a, that was a lot. I love it. That's a lot. And uh, tell me about some reasons why we lack confidence. You know, what are the, what are the reasons why people um, experience over the course of their life? I see it with even young kids. My wife is a kindergarten teacher. So even at five or six years of age, some kids are super confident and some kids you can tell are just like having challenges, not that confident. And then um, maybe some kids start out with confidence and then something happens along, you know, help me understand why we lack confidence. Well, Upbringing does have a lot to do with it, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't come from a household where parents were confident, the siblings were confident, and there's one sibling that maybe isn't. And that could be based on conversations they're having with their friends or experiences at school. But so part of the thing I talk about in my book is, you know, it's basically, you know, it's not a book of acronyms and to-do lists. It's here's here's what life is like through specific stories that are relatable to everybody so that you can read them and go, nah, okay. I get that one. And part of that is overcoming parental garbage, as I call it. So one of the examples in my book is a, a guy named Brandon. And Brandon grew up where, you know, normal household, no one was beaten, you know, nothing like tragic, uh, you know, middle class, you know, so everyone was supported and had a roof over their head. Uh, educated family, you know, seemingly kind of the best of, you know, America in terms of what you could be born into. And yet uh, the father would, for example, like, not be able to find the hammer and then blame Brandon for stealing it, accusing him of it. Brandon didn't steal the hammer. He'd be like, I didn't Mm. take it. They'd get into a fight. Mm. Then the dad would like find the hammer and never apologize. Mm. Now these things went on kind of, you know, they would happen regularly that imprinted in Brandon this I'm wrong, right? Mm. I'm, I'm kind of wrong. And how did that translate into confidence? Well, Brandon got older, uh, was in the workplace as a contractor and he continually got patronized by the like head of the the project. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is something would go wrong. That wouldn't even be Brandon's fault at Mm -hmm. all. Same Mm -hmm. story. See where this is going. (laughs) So something would go wrong. He'd be chastised and patronized in front of like the whole crew and everything else. So do you feel like he was just like putting out this vibe of 100% again, it's just in him again, this is it. It's a story that you're projecting and expecting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, so how did we clean that up? So it was like, all right, well, first of all, my thing was, well, hold on a minute, Brandon, this doesn't happen to me or, or, you know, 
10 hundred people I know, right. it's not that you're a bet, like I'm a better employer and you're not, where's this coming from? Finally, we talked about childhood. We looked into that and I was like, oh my gosh. So the first thing was just really having Brandon see this childhood story and realizing where this came from and that he didn't have to be wrong. The mm-hmm. second part was mustering up the confidence to speak up next time he was patronized. Now this took some work because listen, he had to prepare to like basically walk out of a job and possibly accept that hit of money because that would have been a bold self-esteem move as it was. And it did work, but it could have backfired. He could have gotten fired on that job. So we had to kind of work around that, making sure he was comfortable. Mm -hmm. Finally, uh, it happened again, of course, because if you don't bully a bully back or you don't call a bully on their shit, it's going to keep happening to you. You're going to be perfect prey. Most of the time when you call a bully on their shit, they will acquiesce. They will crumble Mm -hmm. most of the time. So finally he geared up. The situation, of course, came right in. Something wrong happened. It wasn't his fault. Chastise and patronize in front of everybody. He stood up, s- said something to the, agree- to the degree of like, hey, uh, if you can't speak to me like a normal human being, I'm walking out of this job right now. So until you change your tone, not available. You know, something like that. Mm. Now, as what often happens is that was scary. It's not mm-hmm. to say that wasn't comfort. That was a comfortable thing. But you know what? What's more uncomfortable, mm. patronized and going home and going, damn it, I wish I said this. I wish I could have said that. No, that'll seep into your soul and eat away for years. You're going to be thinking about what you could have, should have done. Mm. So finally mustered up that it's can be an uncomfortable moment, mustered up, spoke up. And again, like classic, uh, the boss acquiesced, apologized, never did it again. However, he had one tester that came up. Usually when you've conquered a thing, I believe the universe will kind of throw you an extra tester down the road to go up. Oh, did you sure you won this lesson? You know, sure, like whatever, sure. whatever your challenge is, you know? And so um, after that, Brandon started to bring in jobs and contracts with employers that were so grateful and nothing went effing wrong. Nothing went wrong. And not only that, he would get like emails afterwards saying, oh my God, we just loved working with you. Everything was so smooth. It was great. I mean, you should have heard the calls from Brandon being uh, like, oh my gosh, what a whole new world. Right. And this happened to this person at the age of 40. Okay. Yeah. So it's never uh-huh. too late to change. But all of those years spent mm-hmm. being like, I'm wrong or I'm going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And again, you are putting that energy out there. Now, I have a totally different employee story. I've always Mm. been a great employee. I've always gotten accolades. I've never been fired. So of course, I'm not manifesting that. I only manifest more of that same thing of just being appreciated in the workplace. Mm. I have another area I needed to work on. Everyone's got their little area. Sure. You don't know what it is for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so that's where parental garbage and that's, mm. so story. that's one of the, that's a big one. I know that, that impacts confidence. Any a couple more that perhaps, uh, come to mind? Yeah. Well, um, being around toxic negative people that I call downers, the downer effect. And I, I mm-hmm. mentioned nine of them. Uh, we've all been downers. We've been around downers. And so if you're laughing, thinking like, oh, I know a bunch of downers, you've also had downer thoughts. So if you don't want your confidence messed with, you better stop messing with other people's. And it comes in the form of dumb comments that seemingly are innocuous, like a friend says to you, I want to start a new business. And your response is like, ooh, be careful because like 50% of new businesses fail. It's the skeptic, right? It's always the skeptic or the quote realist or someone, again, downering your damn idea. So back to a Steve Harvey quote, don't tell your million dollar ideas to hundred dollar people. And we've got to get rid of these toxic downers um, because listen, 
People are going to project their lack of confidence in a thing on you. Mm-hmm. What the hell are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to, are you going to let that person win? No, you're not. No, you're not. Not if I can help it. Not if I can help it. So some of these downers come in the form of people that love you and support you and are generally not downers. You, sure. I, I had it happen with, um, man, I, I have so many examples in the book, but I'll tell you a strong one, which is when I wrote my first book, um, now I had been a writer before. I'd written some you know, sketch comedy and some sitcoms and a documentary, but I had not written a book before. Sure. And when and by I was the way, about, mm-hmm. as, you're, as you're writing this, as I'm reading this section, I'm grimacing and kind of laughing at the same time. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's just painful right. section to read in the book. So okay, tell the story. It's so good. It's so painful. So I, I go to a, a family member who loves me, is supporting me. Of course, me yeah, yeah. Amazing person, normally encouraging, uh, not a downer in general, okay? And so I went to them and I was like so excited because Mark Sisson, my publisher, and you can look him up, he's an amazing guy, for those of you who don't know him, uh, he was going to, we talked about me possibly pitching him a book called the paleo sure. thyroid solution. He said, great. I'd love to hear it. So I tell the family member, Hey, I'm going to go pitch this book to Mark. And their response was, well, you've never written a book before oh. all, all with that skeptical, good luck oh. with that, you know? And I yeah. said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, Hey, uh, I'm a writer though. It's just another format. So you know what I mean? Like big deal brush that off. Although it hit, I'm not going to lie. It was, it hurts. It hurts when, when these things come at you, when downers come at you, there's a moment, but you have to be able to self-talk it out and go, "Uh uh-uh, watch this mofo. Mm -mm, You're going to be wrong. And it's not about proving them wrong. It's about proving yourself awesome. But there is that element of like, no, 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 you do not get to dictate my confidence. I'm going to do that. Even though you just hit me, you just came at me. So then the second was finally, Mark said, yes, I'm going to publish your book. And I went to the same family member and I'm like, oh my gosh, Mark is going to publish my book. I'm so excited. And they go, well, now you have to write it. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, really? Like, oh my gosh, what a downer. There was no, oh my God, that's so exciting. Congratulations, nothing. It was, well, now you're going to have to write it in a voice and a tone that was like, uh, I don't know if I think you can really do this. Yeah, you might yeah. F and fail at it. Yeah, that's yeah. what, that's really what that is. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh damn. Okay. Of course I'm going to write it. Like why would I? Okay. So then the third hit was the book is done and it's, they're about to publish it. And Barnes and Noble had called the publisher and said, Hey, we'd like a thousand copies of this book. And they hadn't read it yet. And I call the, the family member and I'm like, Oh my God, this is so exciting. You know, Barnes and Noble bought a thousand copies. And they said, well, that's really silly. Why would Barnes and Nobles buy a book that they haven't read? And they kind of laughed about it. You got to quit talking to this family member, L. You know what, though? Here's the thing. I love this family member. Of They're course, actually yeah. really supportive. And that's why I'm saying it can come from a hit from anywhere. Right. So now when I finished the book, I um, actually showed them the section and I go, that's you. You're the downer. <laughs> and they read it and they were like, Oh my God, I, I didn't mean any of that wow. in that way. Yeah. And I said, right, but do you see yeah. what you said and how fucked up and what a downer thing that was mm. to do to someone who's in this process? Yeah. And they were like, oh my God, I'm sorry, I do, I get it. Yeah. Now, while I'm writing the book, one of my best friends who from high school, we have like never gotten into an argument. Maybe we got into like a, a, like a mini political data, a debate at one point, but we don't, you know, we don't fight. Sure. Uh, we're, we're very good friends. We've we really never had any issues. Just like a, um, while I was writing the book before it was done, the first one, uh, 
he called me like in a panic as if a parent were talking to their child and their child had a science project due the next morning and it was like 12 midnight. Mm. And they were like, dude, what are you doing? Are you writing? How far along are you? What's going on? Just like that, very skeptically. You can hear this in my tone. This is so just like, oh my God. Sure. And I just spoke up and I said, yo, I was like, you are being a freaking downer. I said, I don't, I go, I know that you may not have the confidence to write a book. Don't you dare project that shit onto me. The last person I need in this world is my best friend yeah. downering my situation. You know what I mean? And also you've known me for 40 years. Like how, when have I ever not finished something I started? Come sure, on, sure. come sure, on, sure. man. And they immediately were like, oh my God, I'm sorry. You're right. Now that's also a really nice thing about having confident as fuck friends, because you can do a mic drop like that and it's mm-hmm. a two minute conversation and there's no bitterness. Mm. But again, I called them on it. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to not do that with Mm -hmm. my close family members and friends. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now some of these kind of comments can bring people to tears and I get that. But again, everyone around you, there's going to be someone downers are everywhere. What are Mm -hmm. you going to do? How Mm -hmm. are you going to feel your confidence in the face of that? Now, again, Mm -hmm. yes, you might go, all right, definitely don't talk to Nancy because Nancy's a downer. I'm not going to tell her about my project sure. and my dreams until it's finished. But right. I guarantee you that even when it's finished, you're going to get some downer comment. I had a friend who did a, um, an animated, um, kid series, uh, that I ended up writing with them and they did a little like iPad, um, like a children's book, a digital mm-hmm. children's sure. book. And they had, uh, <laughs> Uh, an Emmy award-winning animator who was willing to do it. And they were telling their downer friend um, at the time, like, Hey, Oh my God, I'm so excited. This Emmy award-winning animator is going to do, I'm going to talk to this, you know, guy and he's going to, you know, about my book. And she goes, if he has an Emmy, why would he want to do your book? Okay. Everybody's heard shit like this. It doesn't matter what it is. So what are you going to do? about sure, it. Sure, sure. You either oh, get rid of these people, you call it out, you speak up, but you've got to do some internal work to get past it because it will seep into your soul. So that's another part of um, things that affect confidence or being around those people, um, being any kind of victim. So uh, one story in the book, it's just a real simple one. I've got a bunch of them, but uh, I have a section called your victim Ac- application has been denied. Mm-hmm. And in there, I talk about a 50 year old woman who I heard at a gathering say, and her mother was there like in the backyard or something. And she was kind of excusing to us. I guess she obviously felt defensive and insecure about where she was in life with success and money or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, my mom, like if she just pushed me further, I tell you what, like I'd probably be somewhere else now, but you know what? She just Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. And I said, hold on a minute. You're 50. So when did you kind of discover that maybe your mom wasn't the best parent or, mm-hmm. or wasn't the best guide? Like what age did mm-hmm. you figure this out? And she was like, I don't know, maybe when I was, you know, 30. And I go, so you've had 20 fucking years. You've had 20 years to pick your shit up from your bootstraps and get it together for yourself. But instead she just allowed her mother to have power over her and continue this victim story. I'm sorry. Sure, sure. Canceled. Mm. Cancel that, everybody. That is allowing someone else's opinion of you to completely dictate and help create your future. Are you really going Mm. to allow that? Because Mm -hmm. clearly you don't respect that person. I mean, you don't respect that behavior. Mm -hmm. You don't admire that thing that they did or didn't do. Mm -hmm. You got to give it to yourself, but enough victimhood. So being a victim, wallowing in that, you know, and that's why this book's really, I know someone who bought it for like every family member because the book is like, if you're not willing to tell people in your life that they're a downer and they're a victim, I will. 
I'm doing it. Mm. So just hand them the book. Um, the other very important thing that can affect com- confidence is shame. And I have a whole entire chapter on shame disables confidence. Can I ask you a quick question before we yeah, go there? Sorry. Because that is a, just an incredibly powerful yeah, yeah, let's part of the it. book. Whoa. Um, how would you distinguish between someone who's giving feedback, right, versus someone who's being a downer? Like, you know what I mean? Trying to be constructive in some way or being helpful. Perhaps it's a close friend. Like, how would you distinguish between those two? We know the difference because when someone's a downer, it doesn't feel right. It, we all know when people have bad vibes. We all know when someone is internally rolling their eyes going, yeah, good luck with that. We know it. We feel it. That's your indication. Um, it's more about them than it is about me. Oh, well, 100% it is. And it's about their belief in whether or not you think you're going to do that thing. Now, here's the thing. Like, let's say someone comes to you with an idea and you think that they're going to fail at it. If you think it's a horrible idea, you might want to construct, you can give constructive feedback, go, well, well, what about that? Or have you thought about this? I mean, there's ways, you know, books on giving constructive feedback. However, some of the time you just got to let people fail. Like, even if you know that they might fail at a thing, What's so important is that they'll remember you encourage them. You mm-hmm. still got to get behind them. That doesn't mean, like I had people come to me with crazy ideas and I've been like, look, I don't think that idea is what you think it is. Let me give my opinion on, on where I think you want to go with this and what you think it is. And I think they're, they're, they're conflicting. That's just a regular, normal, like, you know, philosophical conversation about a mm-hmm. thing. Um, but the, but this, no, you know, it's classic because creative people, get more downers from everyone in the world. So for example, in the book, I talk about uh, a random stranger who said, Hey, what do you do? And I said, I'm a writer. And this is literally verbatim was their immediate response. They go, so are you like a real writer who makes money at it? Or do you like, you know, work at Starbucks, but you know, you write on the side. Hmm. And I said, that's fucking rude. Would you say to a real estate agent, do you just have a license to sell houses or do you live at home? But like, you don't actually really make money at it. They go, no, 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 that's different. I go, no, it's not different. No, it's not. It's rude. I said, but here's the thing. Luckily, and this, I talk about this perspective of the book, and I said this to the guy. I said, luckily, when negative naysayers like you roll around, it only fuels my success. So you just launched me to a whole new level, man. So like, thanks. And, you know, they, they were left in this feeling like a dumbass. Hopefully, they learned a lesson about not being, you know, rude like A downer. That. A downer. And here's the thing. I could have defended myself and be like, yes, I'm a successful writer. I wrote a best-selling book. Da, 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 da. No, no, no. Instead, I was kind of getting slightly bullied and I bullied back and said, F you, you're just rude. And, and this is why. And, and F off. That to me is what fuels confidence. Now, you got to choose your battles wisely. I don't go looking for fights. I'm not, you know, some things are better left unsaid. Sometimes you don't speak up, particularly if you think you're going to get your ass kicked. I'd rather have my ego punched than my face. Like there are, let's be reasonable, right? You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, um, when you're in, when you're defending again, you're, you're, you're kind of feeding into their, their skepticalness. Mm -hmm, And, you know, I talk about this in the book. I have a twist on an old quote, but no one ever built a statue to a skeptic. We don't ever see a statue in a park or a national monument anywhere in the world where the placard says, this guy didn't believe in anything and thought nothing was possible, argued with everybody. No, we erect statues to people that thought things 
were possible when others didn't. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, you're just going to get hit with quote reality, particularly in a creative profession, because you know, like, Oh, I want to be a writer. I want to be an opera singer. I want to be a musician. People are going to be like, Ooh, that's really tough. I had someone say to me after telling them a writer, Ooh, it's really tough. Isn't it? I go, is it? Because it doesn't seem to be tough for all the people that are doing well at it. So what do you have to say for them? So how about I be on the 50% of the side of the businesses that succeed? Like stop being a downer, bro. Like, you know, and we've all been downers. We do it all the time through vibration, through rolling our eyes inside. And we know what that is. And when we do it, because we are judging and it doesn't feel well, we're often annoyed at the person for even thinking of such a grandiose plan or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's when you need to check yourself and go, hold on a minute, man. Well, what, who cares if they fail? Like, Mm -hmm. so, so let them, but you know, I'm going to encourage them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, you don't want to let people do insane stuff. I mean, I would definitely warn someone against something crazy, mm-hmm. uh, if it were life threatening maybe, but even sure. then, so like there's people that like what, you know, climb mountains, you know, and, and people think that's insane. That's their thing. I want to talk about this issue of shame and how shame holds us back from being confident. This was, I would say the most compelling part of the book where you share your own story of dealing with shame. Would you mind unpacking that just a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So it is, it is actually one of the best chapters in the book and, and really revealing. So I have been very confident my whole life, not with moments, you know, we have teenage years, you know, awkward stuff, but you know, random, you know, bitchy girlfriends in high school, you know, obviously we, we all go through stuff like that. But, um, when I was 22 years old, I had graduated from college and I really wanted to make a ton of money. And I just wanted to retire early. And that was my goal. And above all else, I wanted to do other things. I actually wanted to be an actor and a performer and all this kind of stuff. But I was like, that's unreal. I downed myself. I was like, that's unrealistic. (laughs) That's total BS. I'm going to go make a ton of money. So while I was applying to law schools, I got this salary paid job with a company and they were the fastest growing company in San Francisco at the time of the tech boom. And next thing you know, I'm like the seventh person hired. And at the age of 22, I'm managing like a hundred people throughout the state of California. I have my own office. I'm wearing Armani suits. I have six figure income and I'm about to make quarter of a million dollars a year. So with my next promotion. So for me at the time, I was like, Oh, I am done. By the time I'm 35, I'm going to have Porsches in the driveway and a couple homes. And, you know, I was just set. Things were looking great. Until one day, um, I, my arms failed me. Um, and I talk about this in detail in the book, but essentially I sustained a hand injury that gave me chronic tendonitis and tenosynovitis in both of my arms leading up to my neck. And I was in chronic pain 24-7. And when I mean chronic pain, my arms were like, huge and inflamed. I Mm. could not hold a fork to my mouth. I could not wipe myself. My arms went numb every night. I couldn't Mm. talk with my hands. I couldn't hold a cup in my hand. Um, I couldn't run my fingers through my hair. Every activity, if you're listening now, you've probably adjusted your hands a million times. If your hands are in great shape, you better count your blessings on this because this is a hand-based world. There is not one job in this world that doesn't require the repetitive use of one's hands eight hours a day, five Mm -hmm. days a week, Mm -hmm. except for speaking, right? Acting or, you know, like dictating, right? Or translating maybe. But other than that, other than using your voice as a radio show host or something, you have to use your hands. You can't work at a Starbucks without using your hands eight hours a day. You can't be Mm -hmm. a waitress and you can't be a checkout person at a grocery store. You can't be a babysitter, can't hold the baby in your arms for too long. So immediately, um, 
at this time, I thought initially like, oh, it'll just go away or something or it'll get better. And then it, it clearly didn't. I suffered for a very long time. The company didn't put me out on workman's comp right away because I was making so much money for them. So they tried to hire someone to be my hands for me, but I still couldn't get away with like getting up in the morning and getting myself ready. And I couldn't get uh, away with, you know, like I still had to make some phone calls. I still had to take some notes. The, the, the person they hired for me wasn't there 24 seven. At one point, at some point, my arms were just literally dead. I, I couldn't use them at all. And it was just a total disaster. So they put me out on workman's comp and, um, they were like, bye, you know, see mm-hmm. what happens. And I was like, what? I was 22. I don't even, didn't even know what workman's comp meant. You know, I really didn't. And, um, the doctor too said, you know, you're going to have this for the rest of your life and it may get better and you'll, the pain will go away. But if you continue to do like this job or jobs like it, you're never going to be able to do that again. It's got to mm. be something else because it's going to come back. It's like a baseball player. They, the pitcher throws it all year. He's out for a year because of the tendonitis. Then he comes back. He gets it again. It's what they call a repetitive strain injury. And we use our hands 24-7. So you kind of can't get away with just resting your arms all the time. Mm-hmm. So at the time, um, man, you have no idea. Uh, when I realized that this thing was permanent and that I'd mm. never be able to go back to that job, I had a moment in my apartment in San Francisco where I sat there and I had an accident. I had two thoughts. I had an accidental thought of gratitude because I wasn't, you know, practicing it intentionally then like I do Mm -hmm. now. And that thought was, all right, well, my arms may be useless, but at least I have them, Mm. you know? So there was like that. And then my other thought was this horrible instance sense of shame and low self-worth, which was this. I thought, oh my God, who is ever going to want me? Mm. Who's ever going to want me? I can't be a wife, a mom. I can't. Who's going to want me? I don't know that I'd want a guy whose arms were dead at the age of 22. Who the fuck is ever going to want me? Mm. I want to ball my eyes out right now thinking about how sad I was sitting there with that sense of shame. Because when I look back, shame is really a sense of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you have a mangled toe you're embarrassed about, or you killed someone because you were a drunk driver 20 years ago and you feel shame about that, or you got molested and you feel shame, or you haven't come out yet and you're gay. I don't even care Mm -hmm. what the shame is about. Um, it will debilitate you. And the way that that debilitated my life was not in like every, like I was still confident in the, you know, so I went and pursued obviously a career in voice and it took me many, many years. So I'll give you the the good end first is that, yay, I host a podcast. I write books with my mouth. I I can use my hands. I am not in chronic pain anymore. Mm -hmm. I still have the issue. I can play a game of ping pong with you for fun, but I'm not going to be on a league. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. uh, I still can't sleep on my sides. And again, this is not about pity partying, but I still have the disability. Mm -hmm. I'm technically 40% disabled, uh, by the state of California. And this has been 20 years now. So, so grateful to not be in chronic pain though. And I've done a lot of work on that. So back, back to that sense of shame, the way that it affected me was not in general areas. Like I was still really confident and people would look up to me for that, but where it disabled my confidence was in romantic relationships and friendships. Mm. I was so mortified because when you have a hand disability, especially one that you can't see, the world is unforgiving. They mm. understand when you're in a wheelchair or you're missing an arm, they totally get it. They can have empathy. Mm-hmm but they do not understand it when it's something they can't see. They question you. Some of them doubt it. Mm -hmm. 
They mm-hmm. give you a ton of advice. You get tired of hearing that because you've tried mm-hmm. everything in the world. Do you know what I mean? Believe me, I've mm-hmm. tried I've tried everything from hypnosis to acupuncture. I mean, I've done it all. And um, then too, I had people that were jealous of me because my company had a long-term disability policy. And that was probably the hugest hit. Back to earlier where confident people don't want to appear weak. I couldn't get over the fact that I was receiving money, regardless of being it private, it's not like taxpayers were paying for it, called disability, mm-hmm. called long-term disability, that mm-hmm. I was now dependent on an insurance company. Uh, the salary I'd gone from making six figures down to 45000 a year in California doesn't get you very far, mm-hmm. um, especially when you have to be an entrepreneur to try to take whatever money you have to then now you know, like use my voice. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I had to put money into that. So it was really tough. And a lot of friends were like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I'd be in Paris one week and, you know, Hong Kong the next. And I was like, I'm worried about survival because now mm-hmm. I'm like, who's going to want me? Mm-hmm. I- how am I going to support myself? What's my life going to be like? It was the scariest thing in the world. I sobbed all the time. It was so depressing. Mm. And um, the way it screwed with my life big time was with romantic relationships because I was so afraid of being a financial liability or being rejected by the person Mm. or just, again, having them maybe even question it to not believe it. You know I mean? When you're a person that has a disability, you can't see physical therapists and doctors can feel it. You know, they Mm -hmm. can feel inflammation, they can feel bumps and they become your best friends because they actually understand and they're validating Mm -hmm. your your thing. Mm -hmm. You feel seen. Mm -hmm. But when people are looking at you and you look normal like me, they don't, but that's also how I got away with it because I don't have something visible. I got away with hiding the shame. So I would, let's say, date somebody and I would be crippled by the idea of having to tell them at some point. And I didn't for most of the people that I dated, or I would wait until the relationship got to a certain point. And then they said like, I love you or something to make me feel safe that I could tell them. Hmm. Um, I was crippled with tears and like beyond choking up, it's not just awful. Every time Hmm. I would even bring it up. I, the other thing is when you have shame about something, um, it doesn't matter what it is, but with my situation, people, family members, everybody be like, I don't understand why you're ashamed. It's not your fault. No one's going to care. You got injured. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. And it doesn't matter. What matters is that that's really discounting. And again, it's, it's well-meaning. I get mm-hmm. that. They're, they're trying to say, who cares? But you're like saying, that's really like telling the person who's got shame that they're ridiculous for mm-hmm. having it. Mm-hmm. it's discounting it. It's the bottom line is still, so it makes you just shut up even further because every time you bring it up, people go, I don't know why you're so, and then you're just like, thanks that now, now I'm just going to go further inside and just shut up and keep it to mm-hmm. myself. So this really affected me and it really came to a, a head about six years ago. I really thought I met the guy I was going to marry. And I mean, to this day, I have nothing bad to say about the guy, amazing human being. But he was emotionally inaccessible. He was, he would show me he loved me. He was very affectionate and all that, but he just couldn't speak any words of emotional intimacy whatsoever. And I'm I'm really a words person, and that's kind of I need that more than anything in the world. He just he couldn't he couldn't get there. We ended up really breaking up over that. And mm. I was so upset I called my life coach and I'm bawling my eyes out. And I mean, I just am saying this seems like such a cruel joke. I do all this work in my life. I'm intentionally creating my reality. I, I've you know, gone through these different types of men. I meet this incredible human being and what a cruel joke mm. that the one thing is this thing. And it's like a big deal breaker. We get along. We never fought like just, 
damn it. I mean, I said, why would the universe play a cruel joke on me like that? You know, I was just bawling my eyes out. And he said something to me was so harsh and so true and so amazing. He said, did you tell him about your disability? And I said, no, I didn't. And he goes, Mm. well, then guess who's the robot? You are. What were you expecting to attract in another human being if you could not open up and be vulnerable yourself in this situation? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we like dated a year. (laughs) I never said anything, okay? So uh, it was so harsh. It was such Mm. a painful rally. It was true. And I'm like, oh, my God, okay, this can't happen again then because I do want to have a marriage. Like I, I, I can't go through life like this. I, mm-hmm. I, this has got to stop because it's coming up. It, it's now happened, you know, so many times. Mm-hmm. And so I just started to be like, all right, he said, you know, you just got to learn to be a little bit more vulnerable and you got to start small. And maybe it's like revealing it to a friend you didn't tell, you know, maybe you start there. So I did. Um, and here's what's really miraculous is that I decided to finally kind of be like, all right, I'm not going to have any shame about my shame. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Mm. F it. People have to accept me for who they are. If they don't like it, then I don't want to hang out with them anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a fellow podcaster who you know, Karen Martell, and she was just asking me a question one day. And she was like, you know, you do all these things. What's your main source of income? And I was like, uh-oh, because that was the question that led uh. to me even having to admit like a thing called long-term disability. Sure. And I had a split second in my head where I'm like, you can carry the charade on and keep dancing around this topic with semantics, mm. or you can just be honest, try it out. Didn't know her that well at the time. And I just told her a Cliff Notes version of this, and this was her response. Oh my God, L, I also have a hand disability. I was a body worker for 15 years, you know, right. really intense hand work and hand, like she was a rolfer, which is, if you don't know it, look it up, but it's intense hand manipulation and body work on a human being. And she said, I ruined my hands. And that's why I became a podcaster and a health coach. Mm-hmm. I got off that call with her and I started bawling my eyes out because if that wasn't a sign from the universe that I wasn't mm-hmm. going in the right direction, I don't know what is like the first case of me kind of coming out to a Mm -hmm. random person and she happens to also have a hand disability that you can't see. Then it got even more crazy because a few weeks after that, I had someone who said, you know, you should interview this woman, Jeslyn Moyer. I know Jeslyn. You know Jeslyn. You should interview Jeslyn. She's got a really interesting health story. And I thought, all right, I didn't know what it was. I didn't ask. And I figured I'd find out on the podcast. I'm interviewing her and I had to put the mic on mute because I was falling almost instantly when she said the following. She said, I got into a freak accident that nearly severed every tendon and nerve that led to my left hand. Mm -hmm. And after waking up after eight hours emergency surgery, I couldn't feel my hand. And she had this thought of instant shame and low self-worth, which was this. She said, I thought to myself, oh my God, am I ever going to feel a man put a ring on my finger? Mm. Again, immediately, like you wake up one day, you're immediately different than the rest of the world. You are now disabled. You are Mm. now fucked, you know? And you also are now immediately have an understanding of your relation to others. Mm -hmm. And it's one of being different and one of possibly not being accepted. It's Mm. a horrible sense of self-worth and shame. Mm. And um, what are the odds that the within a few weeks of me being honest and open and just coming out about this and being vulnerable and open about it, that I run into two women with hand disabilities that are permanent that you also can't see. Wow. 
you know? And so there's so much more to the story as you know, from sure, the book, course, but, yeah. but that is, um, that I knew that I was a right track. And then I finally said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do a speech about it. And at Paleo FX, uh, Last year, 2018, I did a speech called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame. Because the shame was really more disabling than the disability itself. And it wasn't just romantic relationships. For those of you listening, it was friends. I always stayed on the outside of certain groups because God forbid someone would get to know me better and start asking personal questions. And then now I have to get into my disability story and Mm. tell them how I made my... And you know what? I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't handle being seen as weak. Mm-hmm. And 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 being vulnerable and open, and now I obviously have no shame about my shame, um, and never thought it would be a success story, and never thought it would be inspiring. I just thought I was totally screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to interview Bethany Hamilton, who's missing an arm, the famous surfer. Mm-hmm. And I watch her movie Soul Surfer like once a year to keep my shit in check. Okay, because <laughs> you know, someone always has it worse than you. Like you may be in sure. chronic pain, but at least you have your arm. Okay, sh- you don't have your arm. All right, do you have your legs? You know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I finally, uh, I never got surgery for it because it's inoperable, but I do see a hand surgeon um, for many years for like cortisone shots once a year, a couple of years. And I talked to him about this and he said, oh, my patients that are in wheelchairs know that if their arms get screwed up, they're, they're done, they're mm-hmm. finished. And I have never had a more intense appreciation for my legs I also do have such an intense appreciation for not being in chronic pain anymore. I do get flare-ups occasionally, but then I'm able to rest because I don't have to go back to a computer and type eight hours a day Mm -hmm. and keep igniting it and making it worse. Um, One time I was having a pity party for myself. I was driving in Los Angeles and I had a um, hand flare-up and it was in pain. And when that happens, it sometimes is a rough reminder. That and going to the doctor, and I talked to Jeslyn about this too, we we both commiserated because having to go in for stuff about your hand, it reminds you of the whole scenario. And it's not necessarily like PTSD trauma. I mean, it's a little bit of that, but it's just, again, it's like if you've been living good for a while and you're feeling pain-free and then you have a flare-up, it's like, damn, and I still have, you know, it's like a reminder. And so I was having this moment where I was just crying about it in my car and I turned a corner and I kid you not... (laughs) There was a coffee shop and a guy outside was drinking a cup of coffee and he had one arm. And I was like, all right, universe, like I get it. I'm going to shut up now. I get it. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I could have been a victim about it, but I didn't, I, I did everything I could to use my voice and propel myself forward mm-hmm. instead of just say, oh, well, I guess this is it for me in life. And, you know, I'll just sit around and collect this money and I don't know, watch TV mm-hmm. all day. Uh, so, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that. If that's what makes you happy, go for it. So it's now become, you know, really, a, an inspiring thing. And most people that know me, because they know me of being the author of the paleothyroid solution first, were very shocked to hear this because I never talked about it. Mm-hmm. People were like, what? I had no idea. And, um, I think that that's good because it, people can see you and go, Oh yeah, you know, like you're pretty blonde, you know, white privilege, right. You know, educated or whatever. Not everybody's got a a rosy story, you know, not everybody has had it easy. And it's not to say that mine's worse than yours. I have a friend who uh, has a traumatic brain injury and Mm. was in a coma and had with a 10% chance of living who I talk about in the book. And he's walking around talking and helping other people do that. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing is like, I can't say which one's worse, right? We, 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 you could figure it out in your head and, and make those judgments if you want. But, um, 
you know, certainly it was something that I'm so glad I shared because when I did do the speech at Palu FX, and I have talked about it, a girl came up to me afterwards and she was crying and she was 26 years old. And she said, uh, I didn't even know who you were. I just saw that there was a speech about to begin. I sat down and it blew my mind because I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 19, which is something Mm. you can't see sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she said, and my friends didn't understand, you know, they're all twenties and like, you know, everybody's, you know, having a good time. And they're like, what's wrong? Well, you know, people question, they don't get it. And, uh, she said, I thought that I had dealt with the shame stuff. I really did. But after hearing you talk about it, uh, I realized I got some more work to do. Hmm. So my message is do not let 20 years of your life go by letting mm-hmm. shame disable you. And it doesn't mean a Facebook live or an interview like this, but it does mean therapy, life coach, friend, get it out, deal with it. Get to a point where you have no shame about your shame and be okay with it. Some things are better left unsaid for life. That's cool. You don't even have to tell your story, but if you're feeling intense shame about it, you have to, it's going to look, Oh my, I thought this one little area in my life is like hiding over here. Wasn't doing Mm. anything. It was just like, this doesn't, not doing any harm. But it was impacting a lot of things. It was, it Mm. was. And you can't get away with it because it's all connected. So even though, so that's what I had. That was my biggest hump Mm -hmm. of becoming confident as fuck Mm -hmm. inside out was that Um, because I didn't have it anywhere else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And again, some might say, and you know, still to this day, people would say like, what's there to be shamed about? And I love that they attach with it. Like, well, it wasn't your fault. You got injured. Who cares whether it's your fault or not? Still feel the shame. Yeah. Shame is shame. So anyway, yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful. Well, I I want people to um, be able to get the book, obviously confident as F U. Okay. And the, (laughs) Paleo, paleo thyroid solution. Both of those books we'll link to in the show notes. Of course, they're both available on Amazon. You're also the host of the Primal Blueprint podcast. And so we'll link to that and encourage people to listen to that as well. And they can find you at lrust.com. Of course, that'll be linked in all the show notes. L, you are a fireball of confidence and energy. And I love, I can just tell that you, not only do you represent yourself, but you have this powerful ability to represent others and help them represent themselves. And that is so beautiful. Like I can just feel it. Like you pouring energy, you pouring courage, pouring confidence into people so that they can then stand up and be confident themselves. So thank you for doing that for people and me today. I feel more confident just hanging out with you. Uh, Thanks. You know, any look, you got to get it. You got to get after it. You live this one life and it's going to make your life better and all of your relationships in becoming confident as F, you know, inside out. And um, I love helping people, whether it's overcome a health challenge, you know, with thyroid issues or whatever it is, or overcoming shame, or just, again, having the confidence to go in and and get the proper salary for a new job. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do it, you know? So even, and again, I just want to give one example someone I know debilitatingly shy, even if you can't talk to people. So that's ground zero of confidence. If you can't even speak to people, you can hire a social coach and they can take you to a mall and they can help you go talk to, you know, a cashier. Cause like people who work at places are going to be nice to the customer, right? There's, <laughs> there's always, yeah, there's always somewhere to start. I have seen people come from there and now they'd walk into a room. They're introducing themselves to everybody completely confident. Do they have moments? Yes but they're talked out of quickly and gotten over pretty, pretty fast. So even if you're at ground zero with confidence, you can do this. 
Um, and again, it might not even be to perform, but it might be to just, you know, go ask someone out in, in public mm-hmm. at the grocery store or just start a conversation with someone. So you can do it. Everybody can do it. And uh, I wish everyone the best. Well, to learn more about Elle and her work, check out all the links in our show notes, which can be found by swiping up on your phone right now or going to our website at insporising.com. Well, what would it look like to express confidence in your life this week? In what area are you feeling some shame or embarrassment? And what would it look like to begin to overcome it? I believe that you know the next step that you need to take. It's in your heart. You're hearing it. You're hearing it in your mind. And will you be courageous enough to take it this week? I believe you will. You will. 